0: Hello, and welcome to the Church Newtown Square podcast. If we can serve you in any way, or if you'd like to learn more about our church family or the Acts 29 network, please visit us at churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. And now, let's listen in to today's teaching. I have been to uh, some pretty incredible events and exciting Uh, occasions. I've been to playoff baseball. I've been to, you know, at the Philly Stadium. If you have ever been, you know, last year, the last game of the season, they won. No one expected them to win, and then you just kind of made this incredible run to the World Series. I've been to some pretty exciting baseball games. I've been to Big Ten college football games up at Penn State when we lived up there for a few years. I have been in the stadium when 110,000 people are jumping up and down. If you've ever seen a Penn State game, and the whole stadium starts shaking, and you think to yourself, is this thing going to collapse? you are just in awe of the sound. I've been to a Super Bowl parade, not parades, if you're Philadelphia, it's just single. I've been to large and small weddings. I've been to preschool and high school graduations, pretty exciting events. The only thing that I have not been to are And is an inauguration, an inaugural, a presidential inauguration, or the coronation of a king. The inauguration of a president is a pretty big thing, but the coronation of a king, as we maybe saw recently with King Charles III, is a pretty big deal. And they don't happen frequently, nor as a kingdom do you want them to. You don't want to be exchanging your king over and over again. It's a solemn event. Psalm number two is the coronation of a king. And something you need to know about the coronation of the king of Israel is that the coronation psalm, this psalm number two, is the coronation of the anointed son. I want you to picture the scene. You're, you're a young Israeli man or woman, and you're not at the current temple mount, but you're on the top of Jerusalem. You are uh, there gathered with everybody, with the Levitical priests, and there's the temple. That's where the place of God is, and, and, and everyone is gathered there. Psalms are being sung, flags are waving, prayers and sacrifices are offered up before God, and this psalm is sung as as you hear the words sung by the choir, those who would sing this for the son of David, it, it echoes a reminder of what is true, what necessarily needs to be understood by Israel, and needs to be understood by the king, and today what needs to be understood by the church, the people of God. It's an amazing scene. This psalm, David uh, is, is um, the one who wrote it, although the author is not mentioned here in, in, in the first two psalms because, as we talked about before, that the, the one who compiled psalms put these first two psalms together on purpose to give the trajectory of what the psalms were for. They were intended for instruction and they are intended for uh, the reminder to Israel that our God, Yahweh, is King. Uh, Bruce Waltke, who's a commentator on uh, this uh, particular passage, said this. He said, the message of the Psalms goes far deeper than simply addressing the entire range of human existence. It's not just about our emotions that we can connect with in the Psalms, but it is intended to be an uncovering of the fullness of the story of the Bible, that In the Psalms, we don't just simply feel good about what we read. We're intended to know exactly what it is that God is doing in redemptive history. And it is for the growth of our own hearts and love for the Lord. And so as we read this Psalm, as we we look to this Psalm, we are reading a coronation Psalm that David wrote to remind Israel who really is king. It is a reminder to the son who is to be crowned king, the the lineage of David, that he is not the only king. In fact, he is a a king under a greater king. It is a reminder of God's faithful, unbreakable covenant with David. And that for the sake of Israel, his faithfulness to the king who is enthroned in Israel and Jerusalem The king was to be subjected to the wisdom of God. And so, as we looked at last week, Psalm 1 gave us the purpose, which is the instruction. Those who are righteous, those who love God, the king who loves Yahweh will listen to his instruction, to his words. Everything that he does will prosper. His delight will be in the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and he will continue to turn to it for instruction. Psalm 2 now gives an overview of the entirety of the book, that our God is king, that the one who is anointed king is the one who looks to the Lord's word for his instruction. And so as we look at this, there are four things that I want you to be uh, uh, aware of that David wants king, his king, his son, to be aware of. He wants, That God wants Israel to be aware of and that we today can pull from in knowledge. Four things. Here you go. If you're a note taker, one, Israel is to have confidence in God, their king. They're to have confidence in God, their king. And two, they're to take courage in his anointed one. And then three, they're to be careful in how they live. Be careful in how you live, the psalmist says. And then finally, we want to think about going from one coronation to another coronation. Let's look at verse one. Psalm 2 starts with a question, a rhetorical question. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain. There's a lot of descriptive language here. If you look in the following verses, the kings of the earth, they take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. They say, let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off us. There is there's violent language here. It's a, it's a shedding of something that is weighing them down. But the question of why do they rage? Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? They scheme, they they want to shake off the, the ruler, uh, the ruling reign of, of God, their creator. And it, it is a description of all of human history. This is a, a picture of what human history and what human nature uh, does all the time. We seek to loosen the chains and the ropes of God's instructions. Again, the, the, the emphasis is on the Lord's instruction. Psalm 1 points to the reality that when we live by the instruction of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, we will prosper, we will flourish in well-being. It will be the Lord's instruction that gives us that prosperity. That prosperity is a wholeness that we were to, intended to live in relationship with God. The opposite of that is perishing. It is, it is a, a, a substance life, like chaff, like this shell of a coffee bean we mentioned last week. And so here, the kings of the earth are taking their stand against uh, Who? It is against the Lord, Yahweh, and his anointed one. In this context, uh, the psalmist, David, is writing this to remind Israel that there is around them peoples, nations, kings, subjects who do not want the rulership of of Yahweh, their Lord. Yahweh is king. Yahweh is the one who delivered them out from under the slavery of Egypt. He is the one who defeated Pharaoh. He is the one who brought them into the land. And so in this coronation scene, the reminder is to the king, remember who is truly the king. In Israel, remember who is truly the one who rules over all of creation. And so in in a direct context, as we read this psalm, the question is to the people there gathered for the coronation, remember that there are peoples around you that do not share the same understanding of who is truly king. Further on in history, as the Psalms were collected and gathered and saved, and it was used as a hymn book and a psalm book and a prayer book for the people of Israel, in exile, they would have read this and been reminded of the fact that the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Romans, they are all raging and plotting to shed the ropes of the Lord's instructions on their life. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, We read that the apostles, you can read this this afternoon, but in Acts chapter 4, the apostles say, David, who wrote this psalm, they picture Herod and Pilate as those who represent the nations and the people who rage against the Lord's anointed. They looked at Pilate, they looked at Herod and said, see, this is what was written in psalm number two. They were going to conspire against the Lord's anointed one, Jesus the Christ. Christ in Greek is anointed. And so they point to the reality that Jesus was offered up by, one, the counsel of God himself, that God the Father offers up the Son necessarily for the salvation of sins, and two, that Psalm number two is fulfilled in the fact that the Jews and the leaders of the Roman government all plotted to crucify the anointed one. It's in Psalm number two. It was said that this would happen. And this picture of these ropes and these chains is one that is often used in the scriptures about uh, oxen whose yokes are tied together. That's what it feels like when we think that God is trying to give us instruction that is, is binding us in a way that is not for our good. It's for labor, it's for work. But instead, the Lord says, No, no, I bind you with cords of love and of mercy. You're not bound by ropes and chains that make you do something. You are not slaves to God in the term that you must do this, that, or the other thing. Perhaps you grew up in a context of the church that said, in order to please God, you must do these 17 things, plus this extra list. And if you actually want to be a really good Christian, you got to do these 15 other things. By the way, your attendance at church is important. Sunday school volunteering, you should should do these lists of things. And you feel like God's instructions are a what? A burden. And you wonder why people want to cast off chains and ropes. That's what it feels like when your heart is not oriented to the love and the grace and the mercy of God. You want to shed them. And truth be told, the reality is that this is the struggle of every one of us. Every single man, woman, and child is born wanting to resist the word of God, the instruction of the Lord. This is what we call dying to the flesh. It's Romans chapter eight, right? That which I that which I want to do, I don't do. That's what I don't want to do, I do. And so Paul says, there is this thing inside of me who will save me from this burden. Praise be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives Himself for me and frees me from this burden, this struggle with sin. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so, how often have I? Uh, read this text this week and thought to myself, I do. I still struggle with wanting to resist the Lord's instruction. It's it's what we are dying to the flesh. The flesh wants to live in our own way, but Psalm number one reminds us, what is the way of the Lord? The way of the Lord is to submit under His instruction. It will be well with us. And so here is the common history of the world, and this is what. The world does. This is what rulers and nations and kings do. They conspire and they plot. But the psalmist, David, the Lord wants us to remind remind ourselves who is actually, look at verse 4, the one who enthroned, the one enthroned in heaven, he laughs, he scoffs. His response to the rebellion of mankind and to their desire to plot and to rage against his rule is for him to laugh. To to scoff at it, to just look at it and just say, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Israel, our God, is enthroned in heaven, and he laughs. Have confidence in him. He laughs at this raging and this plotting. The one who sits on the throne will never be moved. That word enthroned means he's sitting. He's not vexed. He's not worried. He's not, nobody's like going to take his throne. He is enthroned. He's there the question that I ask myself and might present to you is, when does your confidence sometimes waver in God's sovereign control? Like when does when does it waver? Do you watch the news sometimes and watch it enough that you start to get anxious about whether or not God is in control? Or perhaps maybe it's your checkbook. There are, There are things that, whether or not we like it or not, there are things that will come close to home where we will be tempted to wonder whether God's actually really in control. Is he, is he in control? The psalmist reminds Israel, the one enthroned laughs. But then the Lord shifts his his tone. He wants us to understand in verse three that he speaks to them in anger. He laughs and he scoffs, but then the, the psalm turns and says, Israel have confidence our God is enthroned, but then he speaks to them in anger, and he terrifies them in his wrath. And he then too points to his anointed. He says, Israel, take courage in the anointed, the anointed one of Israel. I have installed verse six: my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem was Zion. That is referred to Jerusalem. He has anointed a king. Anointed is the one in which who the Lord by his spirit often by the the pouring of oil over the priests, the Levitical priests, the high priest, those who were anointed king were poured oil over, oil was poured over them and they were anointed by the Lord. Zion, that place, Jerusalem, that hill, that holy hill, where the temple would be, where God's presence would be, his holy mountain. He speaks to them in anger. He shifts from laughing and scoffing and he he is very serious. I have to sometimes clarify, none of my kids are here this morning. Uh, so I can freely talk about them. Uh, So uh, uh, I had to sometimes, when they were growing up, I had to clarify between when dad was angry and irritated. I'm not, I would always say, listen, I just want you to know, I'm not angry with you, I'm just irritated. And at one point, I think Daniel said, what's the difference? He didn't know the difference between angry and irritated. Here is the Lord not irritated. My sons know the difference now between when dad's irritated and when dad's angry. This is not irritated God. This language is forceful. It is, it, is, it is angry God. He is angry at the rebellion, the sin, the rejection of not only his rulership, but the one who he has anointed. He points to the anointed one. David, in this psalm, and for all of Israel is to hear that, one, have confidence in the God who is enthroned, Israel, two, have courage in the anointed one of God. Why must we have encouragement that he is the anointed one well it's a reference to the davidic covenant uh david was installed as king primarily because saul who was the first king of israel israel wanted a king they're like hey everybody else around us has a king can we have a king and god warned them he says you don't want a king i am your king what have i not done for you that that i that i could do for you as king and they look and they say well everybody else has a king on their throne so give us a king and so God says, give them what they want. So through the prophet Samuel, he gives them a king, and he points out Saul, who was handsome, who was tall, who was strong. The only problem was he was too afraid of what people thought of him. And he, he listened to the words of people instead of the words of God. And so at one point, Saul fails to listen completely to the instructions of the Lord, and God reveals to Samuel and says, hey, I'm grieved uh, that I have made Saul king. I want to seek after a man who is after my own heart, the one who will listen to the words of my instruction. And so he chooses David as the youngest and the most unlikely man to be uh, king in the terms of his surface, what he looks like. But in his heart, he loved the Lord with all of his heart. And the Lord speaks a decree. He says, I speak to them in anger and I terrify them in my wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. Here's the voice is shifting. The anointed one is now speaking. David is speaking through. He says, I will decree. The one who will decree is the anointed one. The anointed one of the Lord is a reference to how God gives a decree to David that he will make a covenant with him. You can read that in First and 2 Samuel, the story of David. But the anointed sonship of David as king was the promise that God said to him, you will be on the throne forever. And if you will listen to me and listen to my instruction, your sons will remain kings forever. And you will be my son and I will be your father. You are my son, the king. Through the anointed king of Israel, God rules and reigns. And so what is the courage that Israel gains from knowing that Jesus Uh, Sorry, there it is. Jesus can't help it. Jesus. This is a pointing to Jesus. There it is. Spoiler alert. But the king, the anointed one, the one who was anointed, first, courage can be given because we know and believe that God's covenant, his decree, it never changes. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, what? Stands forever. When the Lord decrees something, it stands forever. And so the promise to David, the covenant that he makes that his son will never be removed from the throne is the courage that we have under the lordship of God that when he says, look at my anointed, they look to the king and says, so long as he submits himself to the Lord God, he will never be removed. We will always have a king. Second, the courage that is... From the anointed one, is that courage is strengthened when we know and believe that the promises of total victory are given against his enemies? Look at verse six, or look at verse eight. God speaking to the anointed one, right? So, you follow me, confidence in God and throne says, Look to the anointed one, the anointed one. I have decreed, I've made a covenant with David, his, his son will always be king. If this anointed asks of me, Ask of me, and I will make what? The nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. And you will break them with an iron scepter, and you will shatter them like pottery. Ask of me is the intercession of the king. It's the king asking the Lord God for a request of the nations. In the book of Revelation, you'll see John. In John's Revelation, he mentions this uh, quite often, but. He mentions it once concerning the victorious Christian in chapter 2 that the the nations will be our possession and that the victorious king, the one who rules in heaven, will shatter his enemies like pottery with an iron scepter. It's in chapter 12 in the book of Revelation in, in chapter 19. Because what do kings do? What do kings do? What are kings called to do? Kings protect their sovereign territory and within their sovereign territory, they protect their who? Their people. When the king is righteous, when the king asks that God would give him the possession of all of the nations, what he's saying is to bring them into the safety of the kingdom of Yahweh is to provide the safety of all the nations, all of the peoples, and those who resist that will will be shattered like pottery. I like to shatter things like pottery. Do you like to shatter? Whenever I get a chance to throw things in a dumpster that have glass in it, like there's a dumpster, uh, there's a dump in a, it's fun, right? Some of you are, you know what I'm talking about. There's a dump in Westchester. We, we throw things in the in the house that are in need of being dumped at. And if there's like, one time I had a, a fish uh, aquarium. did I, Has anybody thrown out a fish aquarium, like a big one, an empty one, it's all glass? No one's done this? You should sometime. Buy one and just take it to dump. I will take it from the back of my truck and just throw it in and just watch. When's the last chance you got to throw something that's going to be shattered in a million pieces into the, like, that was awesome. Get more glass. It's fun. Pottery is not easily kept together if it falls, right? Jesse made this uh, beautiful hand-painted ceramic, uh, saran- What well, it's not ceramic. It's, it's clay, right? It's clay pot. And we had some storms go through, and I looked out the window, I'm like, Hun, Jesse's pot didn't make it. It There it was on the deck, shattered into like you know a couple chunks. To which I took the opportunity to throw it into the woods against a tree. So it was shattered because it's fun to break things. The ease with which an iron rod shatters such things like glass or pottery is the ease with which the King enthroned, the Anointed King of God, is able to defeat his 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 enemies. Think about that for a moment. There is no no worry on behalf of God and His anointed about whether or not the enemies that come against them will be defeated. No worries whatsoever. And the intercession that is here is, is for the intercession of the nations. If you ask me, God says, if you ask me, I will give the nations as your inheritance. You will receive more and more people. The ends of the earth are your possession. This is not just the boundaries of Israel. This is, this is a, a question of and a picture of how, how much territory do you want? And God is revealing here the territory that he wants his anointed to have stretches way beyond Israel's territory in this t- context and even in the context of today. Where is the boundary of the Lord's kingdom? Where does it end? Does it end just on earth? He is the ruler of heaven and earth, the Lord God Almighty. He rules over Mars and Jupiter, the moon, the sun, distant galaxies that we have not yet seen or know. He rules over every square inch of your life and everyone else's life and every known part of creation. Ask of me and I will give you all of this. An angry king is a scary thought, right? An angry king is a scary thought. In verse 9, we see this language. This is a little bit uncomfortable because what he's saying here is that you will break enemies, those who are rebellious. And, and if you get the picture, what he's saying here is that men and women who rebel against God will not win. They will be defeated. Death and destruction is... The way in which uh, you will be led to if, again, Psalm 1. This is why Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are connected. Why? Because they, the wicked are not so. They are like chaff. They will, be, they will not last. They will not, verse 5, uh, Psalm 1, stand up in the judgment, nor will sinners in the assembly of the righteous stand. The king is, is, is guaranteed victory. He's guaranteed victory. And this is why it's put at the forefront of the Psalms, because we're to read the Psalms and say to ourselves, one, the Lord's instruction in his word will bring me life. Two, God is king. And he points me to his anointed. And so his word never changes. He has total victory. But finally, courage is strengthened when we know and believe that submission to the Lord and to the Lord's anointed, when we are loyal subjects to him, we are offered terms of peace. Which leads me to point number three. And the psalmist asks the question and considers asks to consider, be careful then how you live. Here's a call to wisdom, to instruction. Verse 10. So now, so now, what is the application of all this knowledge that I've just put before you, Israel? You're at the ceremony. You've just heard that the nations rage and they plot to overthrow the kingship of Yahweh. But here, as we gather together to anoint the king of Israel, we are reminded that the one enthroned in heaven laughs and scoffs at the rebellion of the world. And God says, I have no fear of them. Look to my anointed, who I have made a covenant with, the son of David, who is being installed today. You are to know that he will have total victory. And so therefore, those who are in earshot Of this coronation king of Israel one who is to be enthroned know that I am your God and that you will have total victory Israel know that this is my anointed that you're to submit yourself to nations understand that the Lord Yahweh God rules over Israel and through his anointed he reigns so now be wise what is wisdom the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom be wise look at this be wise receive and here's the tie What does it say? Instruction. Instruction. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, his instruction, and on his law he will meditate day and night. Israel, listen to the Lord's instruction. King, listen to the Lord's instruction. Nation, listen to the Lord's instruction. Kings, be wise. Listen to the Lord's instruction. What is the Lord's instruction? You judges of the earth, here it is, verse 11. What is the wisdom of a king? What is the wisdom of loyal subjects? What is the wisdom of God? Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord in wisdom with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Some of your translations might say, kiss the sun, or pay homage to the sun. That that language there is, you've seen it in the movies where you know a king's, you know, they 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 kneel, and if you are submissive to the king, what do you do? You get on a knee and you kiss the ring. It is to kiss the sun, it is to be so close to the king that you submit yourself to him. And the most intimate thing to do is to 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 put yourself close and to kiss the sun, to pay homage to him, to honor him. Or what? What is, what is the result if you do not do this? And this is the clarity of Scripture that we, need, we cannot avoid. This is the part that makes people uncomfortable because we are so used to good and kind and gracious and gentle God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But we also have to balance that with the truth that He is also just, righteous, righteous. He will not let wickedness go without recompense, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What will be the result of those who do not kiss the Son? It is that He will be angry with you. And there's that word, you will perish. See it? It's right there in your rebellion. You will perish. That's the other connection. The way of the wicked is not so. They will what? Will they stand in the assembly of the righteous in Psalm 1? No, they will what? They are like chaff. They will perish. This is why the psalm, the, the one who compiled the Psalms puts these two at the front and says, I want to connect these two Psalms. Instruction, flourishing. Wickedness, rejection, perishing. There are two ways to live. Israel, live in this way. Church, live in this way. This is a warning to us about the destruction that lies ahead. He gives the marks of a loyal subject just in case you are unclear about what it means to be a loyal subject. He listed here, loyalty to the anointed son, the king. Loyalty to the king with reverential awe. Reverential awe is this awe and wonder. It's it's, you're not flippant before him. To be reverent is to is to revere something as, as good, and, and to be awe inspired is to, to to understand the grandeur with which you are faced, and to rejoice with trembling. Rejoice is when we're joyful. It's kind of like when you have uh, escaped some danger and you rejoice. We made it. We made it lot. Every time I get into the car with my son, the only one who the only the only one who can other one who can drive, I exit the car and rejoice with trembling that I have arrived at home safely. A truly repentant person, a changed man or woman, lives this way. A nation that submits themselves to God and His anointed lives this way. Those are the marks of a nation that lives according to the fear of the Lord. Now here's the scary thing. It is possible to kiss the sun... Yet your heart is not loyal. You need to be warned by Judas Iscariot because he kissed the sun on his cheek. He was close to him for three years. Jesus included him in the group that was given powers to do all of these things of great ministry and all of these wonders and signs. And they came back and they rejoiced, of which Judas Iscariot was one of them. The power of the spirit was on him, yet he kissed the Son showed his true heart and completely denied the king. You need to be self-aware, self-exa- self-examine yourself and wonder whether your heart is truly loyal because there are some of us who do the things that we think people will believe that we're Christians. We go through the motions, we do these things, but our heart is not loyal to God. We, we do things in front of other people to put up a show, but when we're in secret, our lives are completely different. We live hypocritical lives. So lest you think that simply naming the name of Jesus and living a completely different life that he calls us to is enough to get you saved, you are sadly mistaken. The Lord examines the heart. The beautiful news is at the end of this. All who take refuge in him, finally the psalmist ends this and Israel's reminded, all who take refuge in him, him who, the anointed, the anointed one of God, the one enthroned in heaven, all who take refuge in him are happy. There is no refuge from him. There's only refuge in him. All will face the judgment. The king Will have complete and total victory. You will stand before God and you will account for every word, every action. Yet here it says that all who take refuge in the anointed are blessed, are happy, are flourishing, are well. Why? Because there is wisdom in surrender. There's wisdom in surrender. We're going to celebrate the 4th of July, and one of the ways that uh, I like to remember the 4th of July is to watch, sometimes I watch Gettysburg. If you're a Civil War fan, if you, know, if you like that period of history, you'll know that Gettysburg was a brutal, nasty battle. And on day three, as the South was getting their butts whooped, completely obliterated, the Southern Confederates decided that they would want to make one more charge. They wanted to regather, and they wanted to make another charge, to which the commanding officers said, that would not be a good idea. Let's live to fight another day. And they lived to fight another day for another two and a half years until in April in in 1865 at Appomattox, General Lee surrendered his troops to the Union because it was clear that their battle was lost. No more men would die. And there's great wisdom in that, because life is preserved when we bend the knee. In the same way, when you bend the knee, when you surrender to Christ, He is the anointed Son, the King of God, who is enthroned in heaven. And He promises you that pardon is graciously given. Aren't you glad that redemption is a slow burn? Aren't you glad that the redemptive story? Peter says this, that the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, Don't be overlooking the fact that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord does not delay in his promises. Some understand delay, but he is patient with you. So be wise, kings, which leads me to my final point. We leave one coronation for another. The Davidic king was only a shadow of the true king. Every king after David, David himself was just a shadow It was a picture of King Jesus who established his kingship forever by way of the coronation of the cross. How was Christ coronated? With a crown of thorns. How was he he enthroned? He was buried in a tomb and then resurrected and ascended to the Lord where now he sits at the right hand of the Father, unmoved, fully victorious. If we are among those who listen to the Lord's instruction, if we have done what he has instructed us to do, which is to submit to the king, then you never need to fear the anger of God ever again. You, as a child of God, as a loyal subject by faith in Christ Jesus, will never fear the anger of God. Paul says there is now what? Peace with God. War terms. You have surrendered, and so peace you will receive, and mercy, and eternal life. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Rest in my kingdom. Different than his voice of discipline, though, however. His discipline shapes us, keeps us, molds us into his likeness so that we will keep our eyes fixed on him. But his angry voice is saved for those who do not want to hear, for those who will not hear, and for those who decide that it is far better to live on their own than under the loving care of of a gracious king. And in that day, there will be final destruction. And that is the end of the path of the wicked. And this is the instruction to Israel. This is the instruction to us, the church, who through Israel, we have been given a king. God's covenant, his decree to David, still stands. How does it still stand? Jesus, the son of David, born in Bethlehem, the Son of God. The Word incarnate. The instruction of God. He's our King. So my question is, is He your King? Is He your King? Do you serve Him with reverential awe? Take some time this week and reflect. Reflect over these two Psalms and go before the Lord and just thank Him for His goodness. Thankful, thank, thank Him for His faithfulness. If you waver in your confidence, ask Him to give you encouragement. Ask him to remind you of the anointed king. Ask him to remind you of the ever-enthroned king of God forever and ever and ever. His victory has been won. Now we simply just wait for his return for another day. It's not a coronation day when he returns. When he returns is, is the consummation of all things. Don't get the two confused. He's already king. When he returns, he will make all things right. and He will separate forever those who are wicked like chaff, and he will bind together all those in cords of love and grace, those who are loyal subjects, who love him with reverential awe. This, O church, O Israel, is the instruction of the Lord. The sermon you've just listened to is a presentation of Church Newtown Square. To find out more about our church, check out churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H nsq.org you are welcome to copy and distribute this sermon to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter transform or build upon this talk in any way